Good morning, everyone. My name is Christy Crespin, and I am from California, and I am so happy to be here this June 22nd, Tuesday morning, for our uh, American Council of the Blind History Book Discussion Group, and we are discussing the book People of Vision, a History of the American Council of the Blind by James J. McGivern and Marjorie L. McGivern. Um, so what I'd like to do is ask our host, uh, Chanel. What is your last name, Chanel? Ellen. Ellen. Okay, that's what I thought. Chanel yep. Allen, if she could please um, give the um, general general guidelines and policy, that would be great. Yes. All right. So we go by raised hands. If you wish to raise your hand, we'll begin with the PC. To raise your hand, it is Alt-Y. Then when you are called on by the host, me, you may unmute with Alt-A. If you are joining us on the Mac, the commands to raise your hand are Option Y and to unmute Command Shift A. If you are calling in via the Zoom iPhone app or iPad app, the raised hand button is under More, which is in the lower right-hand corner of your screen, and Mute is the lower left-hand corner. And last but not least, those dialing in on a telephone keypad, you will raise your hand with star 9, mute and unmute with star 6. Thanks, everyone. All right. So uh, what I'd like to do is find out um, from uh, those of you who would like to speak, um, again, if you speak once, um, we'll allow other people to speak. And please um, be as brief and concise as you can and you know, allow other people to speak. So I'd like to uh, find out thus far, only going up to Chapter 2, not including Chapter 2, um, what are your, your takeaways from chapter one and the front matter of the book before we move to chapter two. So raise hands. Okay. We do not have any raised hands yet. Oh, there we go. Uh, Robert Acosta. Okay. I think I'm unmuted. You and are. I be, and I will be brief. I, I, I don't recall us discussing you know, we discussed philosophers last time, very interesting. But in the 1800s, for example, 1801 to 18, I think 75, um, Samuel Gridley Howe was around. Uh, they got to Helen Keller, Laura Bridgman, people who did affect uh, blindness in their in their own way. I don't want to get into what they all did. You guys know know this. Uh, but that was very interesting. And then, of course, moving into, I liked uh, moving into the 20th century, the Battle of the Dots and things of this nature, uh, moving us. I don't know how far I'm going here, Christy. I'm going to conclude. No, you're shortly. fine. Okay. But then, then we get into uh, the 1921 when the American Foundation was created to be the super agency. And it sounded good, but as the years go by, and especially later when Robert Barnett became director, uh, it, it got bad, in my opinion. They spoke for the blind. They, they'd write uh, papers about whether the blind shake their head more than the sighted. And it was ridiculous. But that was later. And Robert Irwin of, of uh, AFB and Miguel, I don't remember his first name, should be remembered. And I promise to be brief, so I'm going to be quiet. Thank you. Thank you. You bring up some very great people and good topics and, you know, we could discuss each chapter probably for a good two <laughs> weeks, two to three weeks, because so much is packed into this. Um, yeah, Laura Bridgman, um, Helen Keller. Did, did anyone get to meet Helen Keller? 
No. I have her on radio shows. I would but never met her. Given my real eyes, <laughs> which I did eventually, um, to meet uh, Helen Keller, I am so impressed and I wish that I would have been able to meet her. Um, I was 15 years old when she died and I didn't really know much about her. I wish that um, kids um, in, back in my day would have known more about blindness history. Any hands? Yes. Um, it sounded like Robert was talking and then got no, he, muted. He but, muted himself because um, of background noise. David Mandel. David? Okay. There I am. Okay. Um, I, I wanted to say that one of the things that I was impressed with was the blind starting to organize. And of course, the CCB was mentioned. But there were other groups as well when blind people began to realize that we couldn't allow the agencies to tell us what to do or that they realized that they could themselves decide their own destiny. Um, I was also excited about things like the Pratt-Smoot Act with the Library of Congress that we finally had uh, the, the, the government taking responsibility for providing library service for blind people. And we do probably have the best library service in the world because of that. Um, and the last thing that I wanted to say was you mentioned Helen Keller and she was a very controversial figure because she was a socialist. And I think it's very interesting to hear a, a lot of the different dimensions of her character and her work. Yes. Besides Thank being, you know, blind, blind. And, and deaf. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Our next hand is Carrie. Carrie? Carrie Clark. Yes. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. I think what amazed me um, also was uh, back in 1900, even, they were um, discussing... Uh, moving blind people from residential schools to um, <clears throat> regular education. Yeah, this, the day schools, right? Right. Thank you. Anyone else? Uh, only adds, Christy, that Helen uh -huh. Keller championed women's rights. Yeah, yes, she, she was a socialist, but she women loved her because she fought for women's rights and other causes. Thank you. Yes, she did. Thank you. Anyone else? Yeah, can you hear me? Nora. Don, go ahead. Okay. Um, I think uh, I I once had, when I was in the orientation, I asked Ken Jernigan, we, that's what we called him then, um, about a Helen Keller, and and she she was owned by the American Foundation, and I looked up on the web page for the printing house, and apparently she was meeting regularly with FDR. There was a mention in the book that it would have been wonderful if, if she could uh, uh, Roosevelt and Timbrook could have got together. Well, she was meeting regularly with him, and he she got the. Uh, the uh, uh, allowance for people at WPA to build the talking book machines at the time, which was illegal. It, that wasn't quite legal. They made a kind of an exception there for that, but they claim credit for the talking book, book machine. And, and she originally backed it. She was, she was a little upset when they went to recording because she couldn't listen to it. But so anyway, I, I think that, that that's kind of an interesting account. Yeah. Yes, yes, most definitely. We do have a raised hand, Nora. Go ahead. Nora. Yeah, hi. Um Hello. I hi, um my first time on this call. I hey, welcome. Any, thank you. And uh and uh, I haven't read any books lately, but I remember reading about Helen Keller years ago and she was an amazing woman. She not only learned how to well, about blindness, she 
what you want to talk about. She talked about later on in her life, she talked to us, so many other people about her blindness and also about her deafness. And she was going to all, do all kinds of things. And uh, she went to I college. It's very interesting that Ken Jernigan. Huh? <laughs> Dave, uh, David, what were you? Go ahead. Yeah, um, Nora, Nora. Yeah, okay. People are talking like, <laughs> no, I, um, okay, yes. Anyway, she went to college for the first time, and I forgot which one, which one it was. I think Harvard or Yale. Yeah, I think it's Yale. That was so amazing. First blind person to graduate. Well, um, thank you. And does anyone else have anything okay. to contribute? about uh, chapter one or the front matter of, of, uh, of this book. There are no hands. Okay. So I will be quite honest. I read this chapter. I've read this chapter three times. Um, it took about two and a half hours to read. Um, at regular speed, and I basically put it on about speed three to read it. But I've read this chapter like three times, and every time I read it, more and more jumps out at me. Um, I basically wrote questions up until uh, Derward McDaniel meets uh, uh, writes to uh, Archibald in... Uh, 1946, I believe. Um, and so uh, we, we might go, oh, 1947. So we might get to that point and we might not um, because there, there is so much in this chapter. So this chapter, chapter two, two is entitled um, 1940 to 1954, the original National Federation of the Blind. So in 1940, although such states as California and Pennsylvania had organized um, the blind in their states, um, particularly in 1934, um, the National Federation of the Blind was originally organized in 1940 at a tiny mid-November meeting in Wilkesboro, Pennsylvania. In the beginning, seven states were represented, California, Illinois, Minnesota, Missouri, Ohio, Pennsylvania, um, and Wisconsin. I don't know why I have some dots here. Um, with 16 people present. So my first question is, what about Jacobus Tenbrook's life stands out to you? Why did George Card, vice president for 10 years, under Tenbrook, eulogize him as, quotes, he was probably the most complex individual I have ever known. He was so idolized that conventions were happy to accede to his wishes, in quotes. And I ask this question because he was elected the first president of the National Federation of the Blind. Robert Acosta has his hand up. Okay, Bob. Well, I will strive to keep this brief because, <laughs> and, and the great thing about the American Council of the Blind is that respectfully, we are free to say what we believe. And I believe that Dr. Jacobus Tenbrook was the greatest blind man in the 20th century. That's my opinion. You may say, nope. There's a lot of other guys, but he um, he did not just engage in work for the blind. He became 
He went to Cal. He was a professor. He was in the 90th percentile of publishing books, became chair of the political science department and uh, was strong. Uh, but he was our champion in California. And I'm pleased to say some say that Dr. Perry, who was who taught him, um, did not support a national group. And I he, this book says wrong. Dr. Perry did eventually support it. Um, you know, he, he left us too early in 61, but he was a great man also. And um, there were great men. And I'm sorry, they always said that all men can be equal. They needed Christy there to say there are women <laughs> also right. in the organization. But that was the time. So I'm going to say in conclusion that, yes, Dr. Tenbrook, they wanted to please him. The Federation had its golden years from 1940 to 54. And they, this man was just pleased finally this happens when dr perry don knows more about it than i do when dr perry um you know w was elected president on and on and he became harder hearing i'm, I'm very respectful of that nowadays yeah. he got anything he wanted he was doctor and dr tenbrook became the same thing young 29 year old guy with a doctorate and brilliant he, he came armed with a constitution to wilkes bear and he was ready to go so I could see where they'd revere him all these years. Thank you. Thank you. And Larry Gassman has Larry? his hand up. Uh, much of what I was going to say, Bob said to some degree, although I don't have the life experience that Bob has with NFB and ACB, because as you know, I came to ACB much, 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 much later in life. But the life experience of what I'm going to say holds true for people who are generally beloved and liked throughout their lives, and that is when, when you come upon such a person and you get to know them or you, you see what they've accomplished, you want to do for them. You want to help them. You want to uh, say, I, I believe in what this person is talking about. And it's interesting. Uh, I did not know. I knew of Dr. Tenbrook. I didn't, of course, know him. But when I went to OCB for six months back in 1975, six in that area, Alan Jenkins was there. Uh, others were there whom I read about in this book. All of them mentioned him favorably. They loved him. When I did the uh, a lot of the history recording for CCB and its convention, which you heard just a little of in April, almost every single person that I interviewed and almost every single person that I heard because I had to hear all the interviews to edit them and then put them into a, a format which hopefully you all enjoyed. Everybody mentioned Dr. Tenbrook with exceeding praise. Uh, and it didn't, it didn't hurt that he was incredibly smart, a genius. Um, that helped a tremendous amount. But when you, know, when you get to that situation where people love what you do and what you do. They want to do anything for you. It's the old adage of the football team who would march to hell and back for their coach. Same kind of thing, I think, exists with Dr. Tembrick. Good analogy. Yeah. And Mary Beth has her hand up. Mary Beth? Um, obviously, I, I didn't know Dr. Tembrick either, but I have... Um, read a lot of things that he's written and um, they're compelling. And my understanding is that he was also a, a gifted and, and um, persuasive order. And I think that, you know, his ability to really speak to um, the, the things that are most important, I guess the thing that, that I know one of his, his uh, addresses was, entitled something like um it was talking about the blind uh the right of blind people to live in the world and you know it, it's it sounds kind of basic but it really is true that if you if you cut to the chase a lot of that stuff really is about the equal rights of blind people to live in the world so yeah i i, I could see how how um he would he would be someone that you know obviously had a charismatic personality that he would be um, followed by people, and I think sometimes where it becomes unfortunate is that 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 can can then lead to to if you think he's right in one thing, he might be right in everything, and um, that's not that's not true of anybody, no matter how smart they are or no matter how gifted they are. 
Thank you. Uh, he was smart. I think people forget that, uh, you know, he was cited in the Brown versus Board of Education. They're good. Mark, he, uh, he got the Woodrow Wilson Award for the Prejudice War in the Constitution, and he wrote some pretty good books that got me through it's a lot of social work exams with the hope deferred and things. I took three classes from him, and he was a tough teacher and uh, ran it law, like a law school class, and a very good one, too, I might add. But who, who was that, Don? Dr. Timbrook. Yeah, I took the three. He, he taught speech, but it was analysis of speech. He didn't teach public speaking. He oh, taught, you took classes from him? Oh, yes. Oh, Cal, yeah. wow. Yeah, Manuel, Manuel Rain and I both did. But uh, what the, the hardest one was the, uh, the anti-slavery origins of the 14th Amendment, which all these were the speeches that ran for hundreds of pages. Because in those days, you know, I found out later, you know, uh, Lincoln, for example, was a best-selling author because they, the debates with he and Douglas were taken down by telegraphers and transcribed, in other words, and sold, mm -hmm. printed and sold. And so they were best selling. Well, these speeches were long and uh, we had to pick out what they were. And he took role and then he called on you as you went. If you missed a class, more than two classes, you had to write a paper for every class you missed. So <laughs> it didn't matter the reason. He said it wasn't punitive. So excuses didn't matter whether you were sick or whatever. But anyway, he was an excellent teacher. And um, uh, he, he was chair of the speech department at Cal, but he they pretty well let it run its uh, thing. When he gave a speech at our conventions in California, the legislature, legislators that one came up afterwards and told me they want to work with him. They were really impressed by him. And it, it really made a lot of, impact when he did we did get him to come to the banquet speeches and and things like that christy, so. if I may, don that's Thank excellent you. christy if i may we have the free speech movement at cal university of california that people were demanding a place where they could say whatever they wish don would remember this better than I, in 64 and dr tenbrook stood on a garbage can <laughs> and put his braille speech on the top of his son's head and oh, gave yes, a ringing speech for free speech. And Cal had to cave in. They, they had to give people, protesters, whatever, you know, a place to speak. And Dr. Tenbrook was right there. And finally, he used to write to Senator Sam Irvin. Remember Sam Irvin yes. of Watergate? And he told uh, John Ehrlichman, if one thing I know, it's my mother tongue, English. Well, Sam Irvin was a constitutional expert, and so was Jacobus Tenbrook. They'd write great letters together, and those papers, I'm sure the Federation's got them. I've read a few, and they're classics. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? We do not have any hands at this time. Okay. So, oh, um, David just did. David. Okay, quickly. David? Uh, I, I want to say that I know a number of people uh, uh, who studied at Cal. Uh, I live in Berkeley now, and they all uh, had classes with uh, Jacobus Tenbrook wow. and loved him very much as a professor. He used the Socratic method. He was very, very strict. And at first, people were intimidated by him <laughs> because uh -huh. of that. But they learned to really appreciate and, and even love him. So it wasn't just the blindness community. And the Federation was very lucky because we, you know, because it had a leader. We because it had a leader such as the uh, Tenbrook. One of the concerns that I have, however, is that and when we get to the Civil War, we'll discuss yeah. this. Our Civil War is that people began to complain about him. And and so while. Our folks here in CCB expressed great love for him. I know that there are people who feel differently about him, some people in ACB, especially, frankly, in the South. And I think that okay. we need to discuss this. And I'd like to understand this more later. Right. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Sure. So, um, so what, what do you think influenced um, 
even though um, Burlingame, Gail Burlingame, uh, was the uh, president of the Pennsylvania Federation of the Blind, and he's basically the one who called this meeting. Um, so what do you think compelled um, Burlingame to be elected as first vice president and Jacobus Tenbrook, who lived from 1911 to 1968, to be uh, uh, elected as president, at the, as the first NFB president? There's something really specific. All right. Robert has his hand up. Okay, Bob. I believe that first Gail Burlingame did, did not want to organize. He wanted to talk policy. We used to have, Christy will remember when we met Durward in 82 and 3, the conference for the blind or on the blind. Mm-hmm. Remember, it was not political, mm-hmm. but it was. We had a great program. We spent bucks to get these congressmen to speak to us. But we weren't unorganized, really. We had a two years, and then we merged with ACB. We was moving mm-hmm. toward it. Anyway, Burlingame didn't want to organize. Dr. Tenbrook convinced him. Otherwise, Dr. Tenbrook came with a constitution. Yes. He knew how to run a meeting, and I could see where he would be the, the president uh, and begin. And with 16 delegates, they took the nation eventually. Thank and, you. And, and, that's, and that's exactly it. Thank you so much. Uh, can we move on to question number two? Sure. Okay. Um, what did what did Tenbrook address during the inaugural speech um, at the November nineteen forty convention? Oh boy. That has has had a profound uh, effect on on us and was basically their signature um, concern. And we were talking about it at the beginning of the, uh, of before we came, came on the air, Bob and Don. I'm getting, see, I have a senior moment. I'm sorry. I don't <laughs> know. You got to give us more clues than that. Anything? Anybody? I, could you repeat the question? I didn't quite. So what was the, basically, what was the basic signature discussion? Um, that uh, Tenbrook um, addressed during his inaugural speech at the 1940 convention. Well, you have no raised hands. What I understood is that he, the uh, group started to talk just about benefits like a lifetime pension, but he developed a rehab program that find people to join society and work. And that was what he, he was, he, he wanted welfare programs to encourage people to go to work, social security and things like that. Right. And what I wrote down was he addressed social security administration's profound ignorance of problems of blind people combined with um, incredible authoritarian arrogance. Um, in quotes, he was convinced that only an aggressive, militant national organization of the blind could distinguish um, the board's arrogance. Um, and he quotes, um, I'm sorry, diminish um, the board's arrogance. And then he is quoted as saying, even if we cannot reduce its arrogance. So um, this fiery uh, denunciation in virtual uh, declaration was a a virtual declaration of war that set the tone and much of the agenda for the new um, organization. And that's quoted from the book. Christy, remember from 1935, the initial year of Social Security to 39, the blind were not covered under the means test. Correct. Have it, but then they put us, then they put us in it, and that war started. Yes. And later in his life, and Don might remember the year, he makes the classic statement. 
course, that was with the right of the blind to organize business. But he said, either the agencies will destroy the blind or the blind will destroy the agencies. It was a declaration of war. You're right. Yes, it was. Yeah, well, California had its own state program before. Yes, APSB. Yes. Before that, they had uh, a state funded. Mm-hmm. Usually, it started out with by the counties. The counties it was optional to give a quarterly grant, and then we they passed a constitutional amendment, a referendum initiative, to get that passed in California. And well, when Social Security came, there was no there was a means test. If you earned a dollar, they took it out of your grant. Right. And uh, so they and they he we were able to persuade them, the legislature, to keep. California's plan, and Cal- but that was 100% state funds. And they said, finally, we have to do it. And so then they de- developed a separate plan, which was the APSB. Uh, and it, and uh, they it, they got a waiver on uh, the fact that there were st- special needs. So a different need than the needy blind. And that's what, what we had until the SSI ended, of course. Right. Uh, and I v- remember, Christy, in the 70s, APSB aid to potentially self-supporting, self-supporting blind. blind. That's right. And mm-hmm. if no, but it meant is if you got a braille note or you got a braille writer, they wouldn't count it against you. You could Correct. have resources right. while you're getting a job or going to college. And I did. And Willie Brown made a deal with yes. Bill Green. We went, uh, Sid Urena, our lobbyist, was crying in front of Bill Green and Willie Brown took it. He, he destroyed APSB. Sadly, the guys that received it wouldn't go to Sacramento. They said they'll never take it away. Oh, yes, they will. We have to always be vigilant. And they took it away. It was and a deal. And we Bill were Green up there said, I'm a poli- Bill Green well, said, hang on, Senator hang on. Green said, I'm a politician. And I made a deal with Willie Brown. It's gone. That was it. Yeah, well, so sad. They, they, we had, they, sad. at least we had past okay. plans by then. But, uh, you know, because... No. Not as effective. Okay, I have another question. If anybody else, uh, were the other hands raised? There are no hands, and you're a little over halfway through. Okay, good. Time. So what do you see as the result of the speech um, declaration regarding the agenda of the blindness movement then and now? What, What resulted, do you think? What? How did this speech um, have an effect on on the blindness movement, both um, NFB and ACB? And I I would like to know if there's any other people that would like to contribute to this discussion. I I think it was guidance. Don, I I need you to be wait to be called on just in case someone else. Yeah, Don, if you can raise your hand when you want to speak, that would be great. And there are no other hands now. Okay, go ahead, Don. Okay, I think that that one speech back in 1940 was a tiny tiny little thing, but I think that it 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 was a guidance that get the get the uh, goal to for. Entrance into society, into employment, basically, and have the equal opportunity for blind people, and and uh, not just worry about uh, a pension and and uh, a little this and a little of that. And uh, so I think he he steered. He he didn't. Dr. Tembrook didn't think much of. You know, uh, when I was going to college, they, they kind of worshipped Social Security, and by the way, properly so. But he said it wasn't an insurance plan like they called it, and that uh, they they should. <laughs> they, they, so uh, he he really had some fights with the Social Wealth Security Board, I'm sure. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Um, upon being inspired by his oratory, um, there were two uh, resolutions that were um, proposed, two bold resolutions. Um, And the first was the outright 
um, calling for a national pension for the blind. And the second was a calling to Congress to uh, prevent the Social Security Board from further hindering the, quote, laudable goals of the Social Security Act. So what, um, what, does anybody have any, um, any comments or um, reaction to that, to those two resolutions that were proposed and passed um, at that time? I'm sorry, Robert had his hand up uh, just a minute ago. Go ahead, I will yield to anyone who wishes to speak on it. Go ahead. I've spoken a lot. Yeah. I'm only gonna, it, I'm only gonna say ever so briefly that eventually we got rid of the administrator of social security and some of those yes. things. Uh, we had some friends inside like Mary Switzer dealing with rehab was on our side a little bit, I think. But the, the administration of Social Security was terrible. The administrators, all those guys just laughed at us and wouldn't listen. And we went to the Congress and we're not mentioning a guy that I didn't know much about. I know how he ended up, but that would be A.L. Archibald. I think getting him, you know, he did, if I believe these letters and I do, um, he was terrific. He, he did a good job. Thank you. He, he's coming up. Okay. <laughs> Although, uh, anyone else? There are no hands yet. Okay. Although the group was small and had no publication or publicity, sorry, the group at this 1940 meeting was very small, had no publicity, and was possibly seen as malcontents. Why was, um, why was, this an important beginning. Oh, uh, Larry, go ahead. I think ahead. the uh, I think the fact that they were just organizing, they weren't the only ones. As you said earlier, there were seven or eight states who had previously organized, but it was I believe it was the first unification of a, from a national perspective of a group that was organizing, and even though they didn't have a lot of resources then. They eventually did because they continued to amass, they continued to grow, they continued to do all the things that an organization generally needs to do, and they weren't shy about doing it. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, it, you got to start somewhere and then you build yep. upon that and you continue on. And then what you do after that in decades is, I guess, to some degree up to you. Thank you. Anyone else? Robert? E-N-A-C-B. Okay and the organized blind movement are rebels with a cause. Yes. Okay. That's number one. Anybody who we are taught the agencies, and I know you're going to say this is old school, want us to be grateful. They really do. If you complain, I could list names, you'll be kicked out. That's the fear. You know, I remember getting a guide dog and the first thing is be good or they'll take your dog. That's crazy. No one should have that kind of power over someone else. And Dr. Tenbrook and other leaders, Jerward and others said, you won't with us. We'll be somebody in an organization. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Nope. What is the significance of Tenbrook and Burlingame's ability to meet with the Social Security Board um, shortly after the first convention. Anybody? Larry. I don't Larry. know. I, I do not know the answer to this because I, number one, I wasn't alive. And number two, I don't have that kind of history behind me because I wasn't there. My guess is I'll bet you there weren't very many blind people, if any at all, who would ever met with the Social Security Board before that time. And this is the first time the board looked up and saw them and said, oh, we have, we have groups that have, or people that have banded together for a common cause because uh, they probably, you know, they hadn't been addressed before. Blind people weren't an issue back then. I'm guessing. I don't know that that's true, but I'll shut up till somebody else can tell me otherwise. Well, I'm going to say whatever happened later, Don Queen can help me here. In the law, 
it became the blind and otherwise disabled shall receive benefit. Think right. about that. Um, I don't even know if it's still there, but it was in the law. I mean, they did that much. Let's give them credit, the pioneers for getting yep. that. But they, they're not going to get much with Social Security. They were seen as malcontents. Thank you. I would just add this. They, they, other disabled didn't get anything until 1957. When Thank the, you. The, the totally disabled came in. Right. It, it, it was either senior blind, uh, single parents, uh, I also got county assistance, which was about half the amount of years. So, so that, that the blind made a great impact. Yes, they did. So what do you think might have happened um, had um, the um, had um, Burlingame and uh, Tenbrook been able to meet with President Roosevelt. Um, they were able to meet wow. with the Social Security Board after a week of hounding them, but they never were able to meet with the president. So what do you guys, and I like to hear from people who have not spoken, because I know there's other people on the call. So what do you guys think might have happened? Anybody? Herbie has his hand up. Herbie. So I think it's important to remember that the president is not the law. Um, some presidents might disagree with me on that, but the president is a law. You know, he can only, he's really, I mean, he can, he can ask for laws, but he's kind of also a head administrator. So, you know, maybe he could have said, you know, maybe, you don't know how, you know, I mean, he would have weighed whatever concerns that were brought up to him along with others at the time. And maybe a difference would have been made. Maybe not. Maybe he might've said something to the social security board. Maybe not. I think it really depends on what kind of impression would have been able to make be made on him. And also though, are we talking, I haven't fully read the chapter. So we're talking 1940s, correct? Yeah. We're talking Teddy Roosevelt. Well, Roosevelt was nineteen thirty-three to nineteen forty-five. Yeah, so that's we're talking well, Franklin. Franklin, who was the one in the wheelchair? Franklin. 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 Indeed. Okay, it was Teddy um, Roosevelt was early nineteen hundred. Right. No, my bad. So Franklin was disabled. Yeah, but what and, I'm talking about, but okay, but okay, we Franklin was president during during two different major eras of America during this time: nineteen thirties Great Depression and World War II. Both would have had very economic impacts on what the government was capable of. And that's why I'm asking, what era are we talking about? It was 1940 is what we're talking about. And I'm talking about specifically between those three people. Roosevelt having a disability himself. and Yes, but what I'm saying is Roosevelt had much, many concerns at the time, you know, that could have affected his judgment. And that's why I'm trying to provide some historical context that we need to keep in mind, you know, because he had war potential war looming with Europe that we were, you know, yeah, uh, we do have other raised hands. So So, I I just want to really mention that. So thank you. you. Okay. Who's next? So Nora, Nora. Yep. Well, um, I'm sorry. What is the question? (laughs) I can understand. (laughs) About the president, uh, what was the, the, What if they would have been able to meet President Roosevelt? If they were able to, would meet have been him? able to meet with him, with him. Yeah, uh, I guess maybe things would have been a lot different. Maybe we would have had more, uh, more freedom to do more for and from over the line. Um, because he was disabled. Maybe he would have helped us stay together and be a really big, strong organization. That's what I think. Thank you. Thank you, Nora. And next we have Mary Beth. Mary Beth. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt historically did everything he possibly could to hide his disability. Yes, he did. Um, I mean, both both when he was governor of New York State, my state, 
in when he was he was president um he he was always at great pains to to hide his disability so i say that um i don't think there would have been a particular impact if if they would have met franklin roosevelt i i i kind of am with with herbie on this that he did bigger fish to fry you know in terms of the the beginnings of World War II, but also that his own his own um, um, fear of his 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 own disability and his own it would have I, I just don't think he would have done anything. I really don't. So that's 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 where I think I disagree. And next we have Larry. Larry, uh, I, I tend to agree, and the reason I do, and this is based on my radio background from the twenties to the present of the radio shows that we we produce and play on the air and all over. I have a terrific news background as well of radio shows and have read significantly on this. And and he did not allow anybody to shoot him from the waist down. All photographers Mm -hmm. could not do that. And people knew about his disability. I mean, it wasn't hidden that he had a disability, but he certainly didn't draw a lot of attention to it at all he did at the very end at yalta when he said i'd like to have you understand that i'm going to sit down because i've got about x amount of metal on my legs and i'm tired after a three thousand mile trip but generally he didn't make much of the disability and i i kind of feel that if he if he had been maybe even more open about that that we might have seen something but we don't know that Right. Christy, of course, he did the March of Dimes, you know, in yep. the paralysis thing. Right. But, uh, there is going to be a time in this book when the leaders of the blind meet with President Clinton. I'm not going to tell you what happened, but it's not that easy. Think about it a little bit. No. If, if all the organizations on blindness met with the president, where would we go? What would ha- we'd mix them up. But anyway, you read it yourself. It's later in the book. So my my conjecture is, we don't know, but I'm wondering if their um, fortitude may have opened up some small channel within Roosevelt um, that, uh, yeah. that, that could have later affected. I think McGivern exaggerates this. Roosevelt was interested in other disabled. He had the Warm Springs program. He was working with people and in rehabilitation he did do this but he knew very well that he he had pictures of him with a wheelchair the, the attitudes that time he had never made it in politics he he, he knew that as a politician yeah. and they and he didn't have a what they had for wheelchairs then were pretty awful i <laughs> so yes i think that uh and we do have less than 15 minutes and, just and yes. he did make that remember about the talking books he made the exception for the talking book Helen machines, Keller. which the, yeah, with Helen Keller and the American Foundation for the Blind. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. They had the in. Yeah. Okay. Any, um, any Herbie more? has his hand up, unless you want to move on. Um, or, I'm going to go ahead and move on. Okay. Um, why did Tenbrook? Why was Tenbrook described as a Don Quixote? As a word described <laughs> as Don what? Quixote. I think that's that's oh, Donald. Uh, if you can please raise your hand with Alt yeah, I, Y. I've raised my hand. Yeah. Okay. No, you. So that way you can be called on. Okay. Sorry. And so I'm going. I'm going to have you mute, and then you can raise your hand when you want to speak. All right. Sorry. Oh, Christy. Yeah, why was Don? Why was was he described? Why was Tenbrook described as a Don Quixote? Anybody remember that little section in the book? No. Yes, I remember. I remember it, but I don't remember why. On the one hand, he was ready to take on the world by direct assault, and on the other hand. He was not about to brook any disagreement. So um, of his language, some of his language carried quasi-religious overtones. And we uh, we see that today. Um, uh, Most uh, people admired him 
but believed he would need to be um, toned down if he was to get anywhere. So now we're at 1941. And I'm really um, thinking that I would like to stop the discussion and just have some ending comments by people who have not had a chance to speak yet um, or who have spoken very little. And I'd like to continue the discussion of chapter two into next week so that we can give uh, full attention to um, what transpires. So any thoughts regarding what we've discussed so far? Um, we, um, we can make conjecture, um, but I don't want to go any further than, than um, this first year right now. So any, any hands? No hands as of yet. I, I feel like I want to be a teacher oh, and look down the participants and say, okay, who hasn't spoken yet? Robert has his hand up. I only wanted to say before it ended, uh-huh. I think the hostess, Chanel, I believe it is, is terrific. And I heard everybody, even Kirby, and he had a lot of good things to say. Thank you. Her- Herbie. Yes. Thank you. Herbie. Sorry. See, I messed Close, up Mom. Name, Sorry. Close. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Anybody have any thoughts about what we've discussed today? Any uh, insights? Nora? Uh Hi, it's Nora. Uh Uh This is my first time on this call, and I have no books about what we were discussing. So... I'm just going by hearing, <laughs> but I have no books. Uh, which, uh, I didn't realize that uh, we have to read a book during the week. I mean, <laughs> so, well, it would be helpful. No... It, huh? are, you able, are you able to get um, the NLS Bard, the talking book? No, and I have only oh. a landline phone and the iPad. So I, have, and I don't understand much about Bard. I know a little bit. But not much. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna have to do it. She might be able old. to take advantage of the flash drive. Do you think? Can she? Can you plug a flash drive in? Drive into a iPad? No, you can't. I, I, I don't, don't know. Understand. Nope, I have a really old iPad. And okay. It's not this is with a suggestion. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't you? You're, so first of all, I want to double check something before I go on. So you you live here in the United States, correct? Oh, I, yeah, I'm the one talking from Phoenix, Arizona. Okay, good. Um, because you should be able to qualify then for NLS, you know, to, but instead of relying on the iPhone or iPad, you could get the actual talking book machine that they still produce, yes. which takes yeah. the cartridges. And so, and that has yes. push buttons. And you can also plug flash drives into those, by the way, but um, they also come with the cartridges and they could just request the book in cartridge form. And it's a digital form of how it used to be with the old tape players. Oh, yeah. I remember I used to have the Arizona Talking Books. I have a Arizona Arizona Talking Books Nora, what state do you live in? Phoenix. I live in Phoenix, Arizona. Oh, Okay. First of all, libraries are closed. You have to see if your library for the blinds open. And Ker- uh, Herbie, is it Herbie? I'll get it Herbie. right someday. Pardon me? H. H, Herbie. Okay, he's right. You can get an NLS player with a cartridge. And if you wanted people in vision, they'd send you the cartridge. You hear, read it yeah. and send, the, send it back. Free uh-huh. reading map. So, uh, But the uh-huh. libraries are closed. You have to check with your Arizona library. For the blind. Right. Well, the other oh, thing yeah. is too, Nora. If you're a Braille reader, you could you could also request it in Braille. Yeah. Um, right. If 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 you'd rather have it that way, if you're are you are you uh, hooked up with Bookshare? Because no. I think this book is no. also available on Bookshare. It is. No, not Bookshare. Okay. Yes. Yeah, no, yes. I'm not hooked up. Yeah, I have to. I read pretty much large print, but I haven't been hooked up because I don't have a 
the latest technology. Right. I have a, yeah, I have a regular computer and a mini iPad, but okay. So so if you can connect with some of your um some are you acquainted with any any uh, blind folks in Arizona? Oh yeah, I'm part of the Arizona chat Arizona Council of the Blind and I have Okay, so connect with connect with Ron, Ron Brooks. Brooks or John McCann. Yep. Yeah. And they'll help you. And see if they can help you, okay? Yeah, okay. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Anybody mm-hmm. else? We have about six minutes left. Well, I would only say that these people that say, you better agree with Dr. Tenbricker, you're going to be kicked out. That's the implication. Some of that is the author. You, you didn't hear a quote from Durwood McDaniel on that, did you? He just, and I want to ask Herbie, who's a historian, he's a history major. Is that history, Herbie, or the author's interpretation? So if it's a direct quote, and I haven't read the chapter, but if it's, if it's a direct quote, then yes, it's, it's what the person said. Right. But if the author is um, paraphrasing, yeah. then they are basically, you know, giving their meaning to what they think the person said or what they want you to get out of it. And Thank you. That's good. Sometimes even with direct quotes, you also have to still know the context. But Correct. Um, so even then, you still have to be careful and know where the direct quote actually came from, even then. But uh, yeah, it really does depend on how it was cited by the author. Mary Beth has her hand up. Oh, sorry, I'm late. Mary Beth? That's Stephanie. Pardon? Oh. Oh, Stephanie, if you want Stephanie. to speak, um, we, we always do the raised hand, and I think you're on the phone, so you would always press star nine and then mm-hmm. wait to be called on. Um, but I know you're new to these calls, but we also do have one raised hand, which is Mary Beth. So. Okay, so we'll take Mary Beth and then Stephanie, if you would like to speak then. Okay. Yeah, uh, I, I found two things about I just okay. got in, uh, so uh, um, excuse me. Did, yeah. if you, can you mute? Thank you. Can Mary Beth? Um, I found I found two things really interesting. First of all, the the qualifications of um, some of the people that were um, around in that time were. I mean, they, they, you know, for, for that time period, um, I, I was, I was impressed by the number of people that, that were very high, highly qualified, um, that, that were, you know, the beginners of, of this, this organization and also of, um, and I, I think that this is probably more shows up in the, in next weeks, but the, um, the very, uh, concerted effort, um, on the part of the leadership to to like hand pick who was who who their people you know were going to be you know like they'd go into a place and go we want you know we want John Smith we think he's good or we we do not want you know so and so we think he's he's bad I thought that 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 part of the correspondence was 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 very interesting. Yeah, well, there were definite opinions, um, and some of the language describing some of the people in the letters is amazing to me. (laughs) Okay, anyone else want to weigh in? To unmute, uh, to raise your hand is uh, star nine on the phone, or alt Y, or option Y, option Y, or under more, or under more. Yeah, that's Stephanie. Stephanie, did you want to say something? I think she was just just saying she was acknowledging that you weren't on the call. Welcome, Stephanie, and we unmute with star six. Welcome, Stephanie. If you uh, would like to um, continue um, in this weekly discussion group and read "People of Vision: A History of the American Council of the Blind" by Marjorie—I mean, sorry, James J. McGivern and Marjorie L. McGivern, M-C-G-I-V-E-R-N. You had the Marjorie name, right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, 
um, um, it is time to uh, end this discussion and we will continue with chapter two, 1941 next week. Thank you, Chanel. Yes, thank, thank you everyone you. for joining and I look forward to seeing y'all next week.